0: Well, good morning. Well, it is good to be with you this morning, and we're going to be diving into uh, scripture here in just a moment. But I want to encourage you right now, maybe you have grabbed one of these booklets a couple weeks ago, I want to encourage you to open to page 31, Uh, that's where we'll be today, and if you don't have one of these, don't worry, we're not going to leave you out. Uh, If you have the Wheaton Bible Church app, you can... Really go there, you can take notes, you can see our discussion guides that are there there. And let me encourage you. If you have never gotten into one of our life groups and you aren't doing the sermon discussions, that sort of thing, it's okay. I want to encourage you to take that step here um, at some point in the near future. But I also want to just encourage you to dialogue with those questions that are there personally. Uh, We want to make sure that we are not just hearing the word and letting it stay just there. We want to take this word and we want to apply it to our lives. And so I want to encourage you to take that step. Well, uh, today as we jump in, we are going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to turn there. Uh, We'll be right at the beginning of the chapter, but I want to start today by asking you to think back a little bit. I want you to think back in time and then uh, about our world and then also think back to as you were growing up and where you're at right now. When you think of the people that have had just a massive impact on this world, would you say that those people are authentic or inauthentic? I mean, think of the the major things that have happened in our world and what has changed society. Would those people be authentic people or inauthentic people? Maybe it's easier for you to go to your own personal life. Think about that for a second as you were growing up. Who were the people that made a major difference in your life? Maybe you're sitting here today because of some of those people. And the question would be, are those people authentic or inauthentic? Think of how they have lived their life and the model that they have been. Is that what they were? Were they authentic or inauthentic? Now I want to ask you, are you authentic? Are you an authentic disciple of Christ or are you an inauthentic disciple of Christ? I mean, maybe today you're struggling with your identity as a disciple. And today God wants to speak to you. My prayer is is that his word would penetrate all of our hearts and that we would be changed because of it. So in 2016, there was an article that was published uh, in Psychology Today. And one of the things that they talked about there were the seven qualities of truly authentic people. I want you to see the list that they put together here on the screens. But they started by listing the authentic qualities that are in people. And so look at what it says. Have a realistic, have realistic per- perceptions of reality. They're accepting of themselves and of other people. They're thoughtful. They have a non-hostile sense of humor. I don't know where your sense of humor is, but that's what they have written. So then they went on and said they're able to express their emotions freely and clearly. They're also open to learning from their mistakes, and they understand their motivations. They understand their motivations. Now, not only did they print that, they also printed what the qualities are of inauthentic people. So take a look at this list. They ended up uh, writing this. They're self-deceptive and unrealistic in their perceptions of reality. They look to others for approval and to feel valued. They're judgmental of other people. They don't think things through clearly. They have hostile sense of humor. They're unable to express their emotions freely and clearly. Uh, They're not open to learning from their mistakes. And they do not understand their motivations. They don't understand their motivations in life. So when this list was printed, I got to tell you first and foremost, psychology today is not the foundation of our life. Okay, I understand that. But when you look at this list and then you start to take a look at the text that we're going to look at today, we have to be challenged to say, what is it that we are about as believers? Because to be honest with you, we live in a world today that is desperate to understand what it means to be an authentic disciple of Christ. If the kingdom of God is going to expand, it's going to expand because we as followers say we are going to be authentic to the gospel. We're going to allow it to penetrate our heart. And we're going to be uh, understanding that that is our motivation in life. And so there are people around you, maybe even sitting next to you right now, that are desperate for you to be the authentic disciple that you were called to be. And so this morning, when we start looking at Jesus' words, here's what I want us to understand, is that your authenticity as a disciple is found in the motivations of your worship. Your authenticity as a disciple is found in the motivations of your worship. And when I say worship, what I mean is in every single action and thought of your life. Because a disciple lives their life as an act of worship. That's what we're called to do. So let's take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is writing this, or he's saying this sermon, he's preaching this to a group of people. And what I want us to realize is that we can open God's word and we can read this but what we have to understand is that when Jesus was presenting this there were no chapter and verse breaks it's not like he was speaking and saying in chapter 5 verse 13 I say this Jesus is giving this sermon and so we can read it today and it's great to have the chapter and the verse breaks but we have to understand that there is a flow to his message and so what's interesting is that if we were to jump back and look at what Lon was talking about last week and in that section of, of Scripture, I think it's important to see how this flow works. See, in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, and then he immediately says, be careful. Notice that Jesus is using two statements that begin with the word be. Be. Be, meaning do. So he's saying, be perfect. Can you imagine the thoughts going through people's minds at that point? Be perfect? How can we be perfect? And then he says, be careful. And so Jesus is giving not only a command, he is then flowing into a warning. He's he's giving a warning right at the beginning of this section of his sermon. And so why is he doing that? Well, I think he's doing it because he recognizes what the people of the day are going to think is the right way to become perfect. And so he's going to address that in this warning. See, Jesus is going to speak, he's going to speak into the arena of public religion. And the reason for that is because your spiritual development, my spiritual development as followers, will grow and will expand and be tested publicly. You are not necessarily tested privately. It's going to be tested publicly. And so he's giving now a new way to be a worshiper of God. And so when he's saying to To be perfect, he recognizes that there's going to be practices. And these are these practices of righteousness. And they're going to be lived out in front of others. And so Jesus gives a warning. Because he knows that the thought is, in order to be perfect, it means that I am going to have to work more. And he's saying, be careful because that mistake is in front of your eyes. You're going to witness this. And so the assumption that Jesus is making is that disciples act. It's it's an action that we have. And what the people of this day, the assumption they had was that if you act and you act publicly, it must mean that you have a deep and growing relationship with Jesus Christ or with God at that point. And so they're assuming that if somebody is publicly doing this, that that's what's happening. The downfall is that when people were doing this, and what we find here is that he is directing some of this message towards the religious leaders. When that is happening, the downfall of it is that the audience that is most important to people is the audience of those that are around them instead of the audience of God. And so I want to ask you, when you think of living your life right now, day to day, who are you concerned about? what audience are you concerned about is it the audience of God or is it the audience of those around you see we struggle with this today we can lean in our relationship with God we can lean towards thinking that we have to check off these these spiritual disciplines and spiritual acts so we read our Bible and we've done that for the day we've prayed we've done that for the day in fact. All of us have accomplished a task today. We made it to church. And we can check that off. And so we tend to lean towards these tasks, these these acts. And when we start leaning that way, we start saying, okay, well, we also want others to know about this. That others see this happening because if others see it, they're going to know that I am a holy person. And so Jesus warns us, he says, you are to practice righteousness, but you are to be careful about your motivations. You're to be careful about, uh, about what's happening. Now, for some of you in here, you're walking in and you're going, well, that's not me. And if you answered and you said that already today, then you need to take a look at your life. See, we can quickly think, well, that's not the way that I am, but we have to start looking at the motivations of our heart and why we do what we do. So, we end up looking, so Jesus gives this statement of perfection in Matthew 5, 48, and we have to ask, well, how do we do that? And so anytime that Jesus makes a statement like that, we have to understand that he's going to give an answer. He doesn't leave us. And so if you're sitting here today going, well, Jesus has told us to do something, and I don't know how to do that, I guarantee you that Jesus gives the answer through scripture and through his spirit. He's going to to lead us to that. And so he, in this text, talks about two acts of righteousness. The first act of righteousness that we are to practice is giving. Now, before you get nervous, I am not going to talk to you about giving money today, okay? I'm not going to go uh, uh, towards giving an offering. I want you to see what the motivation of your heart is and what Jesus is saying in this text. So Jesus ends up saying, so when you give, now notice how he starts the phrase, so when you give, Jesus is making an assumption about you and about me. The assumption that he is is making is that his disciples are already giving. It's not that they are starting to give. They're already doing it. And so Jesus says, this isn't an option. This act of righteousness is expected from you as a disciple. And so that assumption is taking place. And then he says not what to do. Or what, what to do. He says, don't announce it. Don't announce it. Now what we have to understand is that during this time when Jesus is giving this sermon, poverty was widespread in this region. Poverty was growing, and so the Jewish people, the Israelites, took their responsibility incredibly seriously. And they said, we have to give so that we, uh, we have this obligation to alleviate this poverty that is going on around us. You see this in Deuteronomy 15. And so they look back at their old text and they go, they go about their life and they, they say, okay, we've got to be a part of this. This is key to a disciple's life because what we find is after Jesus goes to the cross, is risen from the dead, and ascends to heaven, the early church in Acts 3, it says, the Lord drew many to them. And the, the church was growing and not one had a need because they were giving to one another. And so it was an act of righteousness that these disciples, these people, understood that we are to give. Now what was happening though is because they elevated giving in such a high way, it was a, a pillar of their faith, the religious leaders started doing something. They started using this as a display, a publicity stunt to be showy, to say, well, look at how much I'm giving. And so the religious leaders would do this in a very public display. And so Jesus says, don't announce this with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, here's the deal. I would imagine that Jesus is talking in a a metaphorical way of not announcing with trumpets. But he is looking at this, and he's saying, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites in this day were the actors, the actors that would play these fake roles, and they would, they would do this as they were uh, doing plays and that sort of thing. And so now Jesus is saying that the, the religious leaders are these hypocr- hypocrites, these uh, fake actors of righteousness. And the reason he's saying that is because those people that were giving publicly, they were concerned about the audience around them rather than the audience of God. They were saying, look at, look at me. And what's worse in this is that the religious leaders were masking not just their righteous acts, but they were also masking their sinful corruption in their own hearts And so Jesus is telling us in this sermon not to wear a mask, but to give without others knowing. See, earlier in this sermon, Jesus ends up saying, we've already looked at it, but he says, let your light shine among men. Now you might be saying, well, is Jesus contradicting himself in this sermon? And I want to tell you, no. See, our righteous acts are to give glory to God that end up drawing people to the cross of Christ. But it's our motivations that determine how we are living out those righteous acts. So, what I want to remind you of is that your authenticity as a disciple is found in the motivations of your worship. That's where it's found. And so Jesus ends up saying to a group of people that understand a reward system from God really well, he ends up saying the only reward they will get is the one in that moment. This was shocking to the audience because they viewed giving and the amount of the gifts as something that would reward people in massive, bold ways. And now he's saying the only reward is in that moment. And you have to understand, this might sound strange to us, but we do the same thing today. You know, we have uh, organizations can do fundraisers and they can raise uh, money for different things. And all of a sudden, that organization will publish something or announce something. And they'll say, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so gave $10,000 to this. I don't know why they do that. But when you think about publishing stuff like that, who is getting glorified? It's the person instead of God. It could be that you come and you sit in a pew, and as the offering plate goes by, you have this desire that people see that you are actually putting something into it. And if that is your motivation, you're destroying the righteous act. See, Jesus is asking his disciples to not be showy, but to be authentic. So Jesus says to give discreetly. In fact, he says it this way. uh, Make sure that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, here's the only way for that to happen, physically happen. It means that your entire body is falling apart. So if that happened today, I want to encourage you to go see a doctor. But what Jesus is saying is to do it this way, and what he is saying is he's using this figurative speech, and he's saying, make sure that you are giving in a discreet way. Be quiet about it. Don't announce it. Make sure that even your other body parts don't know that it's happening. And so why? Why is Jesus saying this? Uh, when, when he's looking at this, he's saying it because he wants us to realize the giving aspect of our life is important, but the motivation of it is more important. That we as a disciple are to be called to a humble, quiet manner that doesn't draw attention to ourself, but, but gives all the glory to God. So let me ask you, what is your motivation what are the motivations of your heart today? I mean, do you give because it's just a, a task? Or are you giving because the motivation of your heart is that you want to glorify God with everything that he has given you? This is something that we have to ask ourselves daily. We have to allow the gospel to penetrate our heart so that it's always working on the motivations of our heart. And let me be clear, Jesus is looking for authentic disciples, not actors. And so he goes on. So Jesus moves on and he hits this other righteous act in this section of scripture. And let me be clear, there's not only two righteous acts, but this is what he's addressing here. And so the second act, going from giving, is to praying. He starts to deal with prayer. And notice that Jesus starts this section with another assumption. He is already assuming that a disciple is one that is praying. That as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are already praying. It's not a command that has to be made because this is something that you should be doing. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, how is our prayer life? How is your prayer life? Is it a a piece of your life each and every day? Is it only around meals? Or is it something that is continual? It's something that is a piece of your private life. That this is happening and and this is what uh, makes you a disciple. It's something that flows from you. So how is your prayer life? So Jesus deals with this in verses 5 through 8. And let me, let me do a, a kind of a one-off here and, and make sure that we understand this. When Jesus says these words, he's not saying that he is against public prayer. He isn't against that. In fact, we as a church are to gather together and we are to pray out loud with one another. He is assuming and he is calling us to be a disciple who is not afraid to pray in front of other people. And if you are someone that is afraid of that, let me encourage you in this way. You can pray in front of other people because those people are not your audience. Our Father in heaven is your audience. And so it doesn't matter if you have the same words that those next to you have. Because you are concerned about the audience in heaven instead of the ones that you are with. And so he ends up, Jesus returns to this word, this word of hypocrite, because again, the religious leaders are now acting again, and they're masking their true motivation towards prayer. See, the religious Jews of the day, they would have these different times of prayer throughout the day. And so the time would come, and they would stop whatever they were doing, and they would go into prayer. And some would go into a quiet place, and they would have their time of prayer. But what was happening is during those times, the religious leaders would be in the square. They would be around town, and they would stop, and they would start to pray really loudly. And because they were the educated ones of the day, they would start using big words. And what was happening is that these religious leaders, the ones that were to teach everyone else what it meant to have a relationship with God, what they were doing is they were concerned with the audience of the people rather than the audience of God. And so Jesus says, the reward that they will get is the one in the moment. They will not get any other reward. And we might think that that's ridiculous. But what is happening in this is Jesus is saying, I am setting up a new kingdom, and I am coming to turn this kingdom upside down. That there is a new way of living. So there's this story of Dwight Moody. Mr. and Mrs. Moody often had guests into their Chicago home. And so one evening, after a long day of work, Moody invited this uh, visiting Christian to come to his home and to lead the family devotions. The man had incredible thoughts, and he was incredibly eloquent in in the things that he was talking about in the difficult chapter of the Bible that they were looking at that night. Then, at one moment, this man started to pray, and he prayed at incredible length. And so he ends his prayer, and when that time was over, Mrs. Moody remained, or, or Moody remained bowed in prayer, and the guest thought that he was praying, until Mrs. Moody soon detected that her husband was asleep. <laughs> now, who knows the motivation of the guest in the home? But when we are trying to amaze the person next to us with our prayer, the reward might just be they fall asleep. And so Jesus is saying, this is the reward. And so he says, go into a room, go into a quiet room and close the door. And this is another figure of speech. But what he is saying is, get in a place where the motivation of your heart is right. That the motivation of your heart isn't those around you. The motivation is to come before your heavenly father. See, authentic disciples, authentic disciples will make sure that their private prayer life is growing before their public one is. So how is your private prayer life? He then goes on about uh, to stop babbling like the pagans. And this is uh, something that took place in in pagan society. If you were to go back to 1 Kings 18, you would see Elijah up and he is battling the, the prophets of Baal. And all day the prophets of Baal are reciting the same things over and over and over again to their pagan god. And what was happening in that moment is that these prophets of Baal were wanting to manipulate their God to do what they wanted him to do. And and so Jesus is saying, don't do that, because for authentic disciples to pray, they have to understand that they cannot manipulate God. So don't don't babble on and on. And so the, the form of prayer isn't that followers of Jesus are are to practice long prayers, the the thing that they are supposed to do is they are to practice talking with God and listening to God. See, the focus of our motivation is what is important. In fact, I was reading a story this past week of Martin Luther. Martin Luther had this puppy puppy that just happened to be at the table with him, and this puppy was looking for just this morsel uh, of of food from his master. And so the dog would, would watch with this open mouth and these motionless eyes. Luther ends up looking at the dog, and he comes to this conclusion, and he said, oh, if I could only pray the way this dog watches the meat all his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. How is your motivation towards prayer? What is your motivation on? See, your words cannot manipulate God, but your focus changes whenever you realize your audience is the one that is on the throne in heaven and not the ones that are sitting among you. Jesus wants to raise up authentic disciples in this sermon. He's he's wanting to raise them up where prayer isn't for show. Because what we have to understand is your authenticity as a disciple is found in the motivations of your worship. It's found in the motivations of your worship. So this leads to to say what are we to practice, like these practices of righteousness, how do we accomplish those and accomplish them authentically? Well, Jesus wants to deal with your motivations because he wants you to be a person that lives a life of worship. In fact, motivations are a quick gauge of a person's heart. So for you today, you need to start looking at what are the motivations inside my heart and what are the things that are drawing me to God? How am I being transformed? And so I want to give you two motivations that that come from Scripture, but why we should give, why we should pray, and what the motivations should be. And the first motivation is this, is that a disciple shows gratitude for the grace of God. The the gratitude for the grace of God God is our motivation to do both of those things. See, it's this gratitude that God sent his son as a ransom for all of humanity. And this motivates us, when we focus on that, away from ourselves and onto the cross. And in order for this to be developed, this this, uh, gratitude development to happen, we have to be in awe of the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. And if we don't find awe there, then our motivations in our heart are going to be wrong. See, in order for us to live out these acts of righteousness in an authentic way, we have to have gratitude for that. That's why we say the gospel isn't just the starting line. It's the whole race. It's why we have to constantly be looking at that because that gratitude changes our perspective. And it reminds us of why we need God the Father. The second motivation is this, is that a disciple is motivated to love because of God's love for us. We don't love out of duty. I don't love my wife because of the covenant I made at the wedding. I love my wife because God first loved me because he did that so in this sermon what's interesting is that this love comes through because in this sermon 17 times Jesus ends up using the term father this was radically new for the Jews of the day because they never viewed God as that way Think back to when Jesus, he ends up using the the story of the prodigal son, and he displays the father in such a different way. And it's because he wants the people to understand that God the father loves them. And because God loves them, there is motivation to live and to act out of that. And so Jesus is moving them to a reality of a personal relationship with a God who has all authority in heaven and on earth. See, God isn't a distant God. He is one that is close, that is full of love. So when we think of our acts of righteousness, the things that we are to be practicing, then we have to look and say, what are my motivations? The grace and love of God should push me in that direction. So do you see the beauty of the cross? Do you see the beauty of an empty grave? And if you clearly see those, those motivations will enable you to live out acts of righteousness because those motivations are transforming you. To give glory to God and not yourself. See, your authenticity as a disciple is found in the motivations of your worship. So are you authentic or are you showy? May your motivations be driving you to be the disciple that Jesus calls us to be. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father, I pray for each one here, for all of us in this room, Lord, that we would be authentic disciples, that today we would take one step, not giant steps, but we would take one step so that our motivations would be the cross, the empty grave, the love and the grace that you have poured out on us. And may that push us to live out and practice these acts of righteousness that give glory to you and never to ourselves. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us and would drive us to be the followers that we need to be so that this world, the people that are around us, would be drawn to you. So have your way. Have your way in our lives today. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Just want to remind you that our prayer team will be down front if you need any prayer. Otherwise, you are sent, Wheaton Bible Church. Have a great day.